Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Kerwin, and on today's episode, I have Dr. Darren Schmidt. Dr. Schmidt is a chiropractor who has been focusing on clinical nutrition since 1998. He believes in following the physiology and is an advocate of a low-carb and keto way of eating for helping health. He uses nutrition to get to the root cause of health problems and owns and practices at the Nutritional Healing Center of Ann Arbor in Michigan. Darren, thanks so much for coming on for an episode for today. You're welcome, Gary. Thanks for having me. Yeah, so I've had a chance to binge watch some of your YouTube videos, and I've actually followed you on and off over the years on your channel, and uh, you do produce some very good content. And so I'm actually glad I'm getting to ask you some questions today, um, especially after watching some of your videos. But um, what the topic I'd like to explore with you today is one of the, your latest videos that I got to watch was because you advocate a low-carb or a ketogenic uh, diet for patients for a multitude of reasons. And you brought up a really good one recently where you had a patient who was on a ketogenic diet and they were stalling and they were struggling. And you found a very different reason why that was happening. And so it's, it's those differences today that I want to get into with you. Um, but to, be, to begin with, what I'd like to just um, ask you is, when did you start following a low-carb or a ketogenic way of um, living? I started in the year 2000. So I graduated from chiropractic school in 97. And I started with nutritional supplements in 98. I learned some good diet advice in 99 regarding the Weston A. Price Foundation. And then in 2000, I stopped uh, bread. In 2001, I had eight pops. So I stopped pop after that. Um, so that's when I started that, around 2000. And the, the reason in those early 2000s that you got so interested and decided that this is the way that you want to you wanna eat, was there a particular reason for that? Well, in the chiropractic field in nutrition, um, it's pretty low carb keto. There's a guy named Dr. Michael Dobbins who was giving lectures and he, um, he's passed away now, but he was in ketosis for more than, more than 20 years. Um, he had, uh, uh, prostate cancer from working on nuclear subs as a nuclear technician, he got too much radiation and it did extend his life. He went into several stories about that, but. Um, I'd also been to a seminar on uh, the Western A. Price Foundation. <clears throat> and in the mid-90s, I tried vegetarian eating. I stopped eating meat for a number of months, up to a year. Ate a lot of beans, and my hair started falling out, and I was really depressed, and it was really bad. So through my own self-experimentation and then through the guidance of people in the natural healthcare world, um, the seminars that I attended and other chiropractors, that's why I got to the low-carb um, movement. Okay, cool. And recently I saw you, you've been talking about the Carnival Conference and I'm here in Denver at the moment getting ready for the first Carnival Conference and I hear you're also going to be here um, for the Low Carb Conference in Denver. Um, oh. Uh, oh, great. So I'm going to get to see you on Thursday. And yeah. I'd like to find out what are your thoughts then on more of a ketogenic carnivore way of eating? Well, the ketogenic carnivore we can call it ketovore, I guess. I like that way of eating um, as compared to what many people, including, my, including myself, have been teaching for a number of years, which would be more fats and uh, less protein 
and not much focus on meat, but the protein might be some meat, but some snacking, you know, like, uh, I don't know what this, some cooked foods, I guess, like the artificial keto desserts and fat bombs and stuff like that. So with the carnivore way of eating, it's more natural. It's more uh, the way our ancestors used to eat. And the old way of teaching would be uh, drinking coconut oil and um, moderate protein. So when you do carnivore, it's, it's higher protein. I learned from a guy named Dr. Ted Naiman. I got sucked into Twitter in June of 2018. So uh, just reading a lot there. And uh, Ted Naiman talks about how protein is not a factor when it comes to glucose and it does not prevent ketosis. These are two things that a lot of people thought were true, but they're not true. And the other thing is you don't have to have a lot of fat in your diet to get into ketosis. It can help you in the beginning to get into ketosis where you're saturating your, your body with fat and then your cells start using that. But the truth is the only rule that matters to get into ketosis is getting your Carbohydrates below 20 grams a day at the beginning. Some people, it could be less than 50, but just to be um, accurate, less than 20 grams a day. So once you get that one rule down, then you just leverage your fat intake up and down depending on what you need. And then your, your protein needs to be more than um, medium or moderate. It should be above adequate amounts of protein. And there's a wide range of um, numbers when it comes to that, but Dr. Naiman had found a study where people were eating 8.0 times their lean body mass. As a, and some, some people recommend like 1.0 times their lean body mass or 0.8, but he's saying all the way up to 8.0, there was a research study saying that that was okay. So you can have a lot of protein and it doesn't harm the kidneys. It doesn't prevent ketosis. The only thing that pre prevents ketosis is the carb count. Okay. And, you know, tying this into what I mentioned earlier about uh, problem solving on a ketogenic diet, would you say then for some people who were maybe following a traditional ketogenic diet that it, they would be focusing all on the fats, whereas now it seems that um, maybe for some people, if, especially from, from a weight control point of view, that that could be a problem for them. And maybe a higher protein intake is actually what they need, but still minimizing the carbohydrates. Right. The higher protein, the, the two things that satisfy the body would be higher protein and fats. But you can go higher protein, less fat, still be satisfied. And you want to keep your fuels down. So I learned from a guy named um, Brian Sanders, and he's, he's creating a movie about food lies. And he's, he mentioned this unified theory of food, which I think is brilliant. Where the protein, there's three things that maintain the structure of your body, uh, protein, vitamins, and minerals. So you have as much of that as you want. And then there's two fuels, carbs and fats. So you keep your carbs down to ketosis. And then your fat intake, that can be high if you're an endurance athlete. But if you want to lose weight, you have to lower the fat intake. So your two fuels are down. And then the maintaining the um, structure of your body is, is up. That's the protein. Does that answer what you're asking? Yeah. So I guess um, just coming back to everyone's going to be slightly different on the ketogenic spectrum, it sounds like, or the low-carbohydrate spectrum. And I guess it just depends maybe, maybe on your metabolism. 
what what goal you're trying to achieve but there's times when actually it's okay you can be keto but actually lower your fat intake significantly potentially oh yeah for sure yeah then you start burning the fat that you're carrying around instead of burning the fat that you're consuming so and i've seen this clinically now i've been teaching keto for three years where people like me eat a ton of fat a ton of protein or even or amount of protein but the carbs are down and lose weight and do well in the gym, et cetera. But then other people, um, they eat a ton of fat and ton of protein and they they don't lose any weight. They may get into ketosis, lose eight pounds and they stall out. And then I just, now I know, just keep, make sure the fat grams go down too. And then um, make sure the protein, and there's one interesting thing that I have a practitioner in my office, Kristen Clore, and um, she has a history of uh, epilepsy. So, She's been really studying ketosis and fasting for her own self, but she's determined that um, animal protein is different than plant protein to the degree, like if she's got a patient who, let's say this patient's eating hundred grams of animal protein per day, this patient is actually a total carnivore. But if she has uh, broccoli, it's the, the, the protein in the broccoli, the, the plant protein and there's other factors of broccoli that's detrimental, that causes hunger, that stalls the weight loss. And so, but I think there's people eating a lot of plant protein and they're not satisfied, they're not doing well. Um, they may be in ketosis, they may be losing weight or not, but there's a big difference between animal protein versus plant protein. And that's something that I don't really see that much on social media, Twitter, YouTube. I don't see people talking about that, but I like to bring that up as a subject where animal protein is way, way better for the human body than plant protein. Okay. Yeah. And I mean, cause we do get a spectrum and I've, I've had a previous guest on, um, Dr. Carrie Dioulis and she's a vegan keto. Um, so, uh, and she manages and thrives on that one. Uh, but it, I guess again, it, it is fascinating just the spectrum that everyone can be on, on the low carbohydrate diets. Um, in that case there, do you think, we're also getting more into like your microbiome or other genetic factors, anything else there? Yeah. For ketosis, there's a, one thing that I figured out for myself was three years ago, I had black mold poisoning and I would get in ketosis and I would hurt and it was uncomfortable. The black mold had settled in my lungs and my heart. So my first few days I was getting into ketosis one day a month and that hurt my heart so bad. And um, one of my patients said, well, she had learned that, yeah, uh, fungus can grow on ketones and it also grows on sugar too. So now I've had dozens and dozens of patients with fungus trying to get in ketosis and it wasn't working for them. I said, yeah, we got to kill the fungus first. I've only had six people who had fungus, got in ketosis and did well with it. So that's the thing. That's the microbiome where... um, there's some predisposing factors that can harm your efforts in getting into ketosis. And that's, again, what I alluded to all the way in the beginning here is about some of these nuances, these little differences. And we'll, we'll get to that patient just now, which sounds like it's on the spectrum here. But that's fascinating to hear that if someone's maybe suffering, and when we're talking about fungal, is this like your common thing of a, a candida issue? And, and so someone who's got a, a candida problem could actually struggle on a ketogenic diet in certain circumstances oh yeah yeah and i clumped them all together uh, fungus candida 
mold and yeast. I just clump them all together. So when I had my blood tested for, you know, the IgE and IgG reactions, autoimmune reactions to uh, molds, I had a test of 14 and I had 13 of them high and they shouldn't be over 1.9. And I had some that were 50 and 60, but it included candida. Candida was one out of 14 that were tested on this. And some were, you know, considered mold, some were considered fungus. So I just clump them all together. They all grow in the same way. Okay. Um, and do you think it's everyone who's got that problem that, or a majority of people with a fungal issue that would struggle? Or it's just interesting what you brought up there about how we always are taught that um, if you've got a fungal infection, that it's, it's the carbohydrates, it's the sugars here. But you're saying that in certain, there's also times when it's the, the ketones could be a problem. Right. Yeah. Um, so, but, you know, across the country, so many people are just eating too much, too many carbohydrates. So that's a pro problem for 99.99% of the population in the United States. So um, what you want to do then is low carb, but not so low that you're in ketosis. So the grams per day might be 75 or 100 grams per day. And that's kind of the sweet spot for people with uh, fungal issues. Then the other, th oops, then the other thing is um, you avoid foods that can feed the fungus. That would be fermented vegetables. That would be processed meats. Of course, all anything sugary, anything sweet. Um, and there, th we have a list. It's, we have an antifungal diet that people follow. And it's about the quality of the food. Make sure you're eating the right food so you're not feeding the fungus. And do low, lower carb, like 75 to 100 grams a day, like I said. And then in the meantime, we're going to load the body up with antifungal oregano or grapefruit seed extract or and drainage products, you know, stuff to clean the body out. And then three, four, four months later, five months later at the most, then we can start changing the diet around and see how their body responds. And they also have to make sure they move out of the house or clean up the house, find a source of mold. Sometimes it's their spouse. Um, uh, you know, it could be um, the house. It could be where they work. Um, so that's how we approach that. Okay. And would you say then a symptom that someone would know that this is a problem for them is like a weight loss plateau or weight loss store? Or would it be other symptoms to know that actually ketosis isn't working for me in this situation because I have to deal with this underlying infection? Yeah, it would be um, any number of variety of symptoms. But what comes to mind primarily is um, the mold yeast symptoms come back. So if it's a woman with chronic yeast infection, it keeps coming back. If it's a, if it's a, it's a fungal infection, the CDC says that 96% of sinus infections are actually fungal. So if somebody, you know, is eating the wrong foods or they're getting in ketosis and this is worse, then they need to address that first. Okay. So if you've got like chronic sinusitis and even when you're on in a ketogenic diet and it's not getting better and you're still getting recurrence, that's a, a sign that you've got something else you need to deal with. Right. Yeah. The biggest thing, I guess, really is when people get into ketosis, they feel better, their brain works better, their muscles work better, they have better endurance. And if you don't get those, you feel worse, then you got something else going on. Interesting. Okay. Um, and this is why you even recommend taking certain supplementation, like in this case, um, antifungal su supplementation, um, even though you're on a low-carbohydrate ketogenic diet, which is a clean diet, which you're probably taking also 
or eating that way to try and solve a health problem. Right. The low carb, that's a good point. The low carb diet is not the solution for fungus. It, all it does is it doesn't feed the fungus. Uh, the, the fungus can hibernate for, they, fungus can dry out. You know, picture of an abandoned house that, that uh, it was wet at once and then it's dry. And now the fungus is dry on the walls. It'll just wait there. It'll just sit there for a long time. The next time that it's wet, then it grows again. And just like mushrooms in the, in the forest, so it can hibernate. So low carb diet and then the antifungal diet combined, that, that means that you're not feeding the fungus. And in the meantime, you got to kill it. Okay. So coming back to your story, that's fascinating with the, the black mold exposure. So how you said it was a blood test that you figured out that that was the problem because you were trying to go into ketosis, but then you were getting the chest pains. Um, in, your, in your situation then, um, I'd be interested to find out how you're able to now go into ketosis without getting chest pain. Oh, yeah. Um, the series of events went like this. I had horrible chest pain. And then I found a spot where the paint had chipped off the wall. Behind that was black. I had that tested by a lab right around the corner and they found three molds. And I knew that the chest pain then was caused by that. So I tested my urine from mycotoxins and my blood for the IgE response and they were super high. So um, around this time then I was like, okay, I know um, I need to get my health back in shape. So I'm spending more days at home. I cut my work hours and I was lifting weights and I was, and I, th I figured I'd try to get into ketosis to help me out. And I, I had not yet found the mold when I first got into ketosis, but man, I felt horrible. <laughs> once I got into ketosis, I'm sorry, once I found the mold and then, um, I was able to get into ketosis, um, easier because I had moved out of that room. I moved my desk away from that room started taking some binders, which is like detox products. And it's been a long journey. That was three years, that was three and a half years ago now. Um, so in the meantime, I got into this new office. I had to move, that was, a, that was two and a half years just to get in a new office. And uh, sauna twice a week and detox programs. I got several that I've done. And that everything works. Everything has helped me feel better. The, you know, like the various detox programs. I can see, the changes occur as I'm doing it and then looking back that I feel better now. And I figure I'm, I'm going to do this for another year and a half of hardcore detox programs and keep retesting my blood and retesting my urine because I still have some work to do. Okay. And the reason I, I'm enjoying listening to this is because I do see the comments on the YouTube channel and from people on Twitter saying, hey, you know, I've tried this low-carb or keto to try solve a problem, but it's just not working. I don't think it's working for me. And I'm just trying to drop the seed that potentially there's these other factors that you need to look at. Right. Yeah. And you know, during this time when I didn't know I had the mold, I was looking through old books. I was taking a lot of different supplements and not really nailing it on the head until I had I'd taken some supplements from the 1930s and I felt better two days later. So I had to look back in the 1930s. Like why did that guy put together those formulas? What did he know about my heart that I didn't know? And I had, then I started reading a lot. And I already, I already read a lot. I already know a lot. <laughs> but, I, but back then, they were trying to fix a, the, um, the mechanism of chronic disease, which is lactic acidosis. Now, there's the old 
definition of that from the 1930s, which persisted through the 1970s. But then the definition changed after that, which is very, very unfortunate because the new definition only applies to two groups of people, athletes and then um, uh, people who have five days left to live. They're in the ER and they're dying. Um, so, but the older information has way more clinical relevance for everybody. And I had, I've made this poster just the other day for another interview. Um, but where I talk about the, the different factors of lactic acidosis, how to stop it. Um, there's four factors that you have to address. If you address two of them, you'll, you'll be in better shape. And at the minimum, you have to address three of them. So, and what it comes down to is dirty blood. So that means toxicity. The toxicity could be from black mold, it could be from parasites, it could be from metals or chemicals, and then the liver is not cleaning the blood out, and the blood is um, making the arteries dilate. I don't, I don't know if you want me to get into the whole situation with it, but this is a factor when it comes to ketosis. I had a conversation in August. Um, I was at a keto conference in Columbus, and I was talking with Nina Teicholz, who wrote the Big Fat, Fat Surprise book. And she said to me, well, where do you fit in on all this? And, you know, like I'm a chiropractor, like in, you know, doing my own type of research, re looking at these old books, like this is the Mayo Clinic book here from 1925. And they have a lot of inf information there on ketosis. And during the seminar in August, one of the speakers said that 20% of people who try ketosis don't, they don't succeed. So I told Nina, that's because their blood is dirty. Maybe they got mold, maybe they got parasites, they need to detox. That's where the holistic viewpoint in healthcare comes in. So knowing this, lactic acidosis, and ketosis is one of the solutions. I actually have the word right there. Let me see if I can uh, yeah, point I, to it uh -huh. right there. It's ketosis. That is a solution for lactic acidosis. But everything else is, matters too. It's not just this one therapy. And then up there we have hyperbaric oxygen therapy. And we have deep breathing ozone therapy. And down here we have fasting and there's burst training types of exercise right there. B vitamins, like it's the whole big picture. So there's specialists in detox, there's specialists in um, ketosis, there's specialists in hyperbaric oxygen therapy, the specialists in cell metabolism, respiration, mitochondria. <laughs> This, I think this is it, that you got to put it all together. And this is what they knew in the 1930s. They didn't have hyperbaric oxygen therapy back then. And they knew about ketosis. You know, they knew about juicing vegetables. If you wanted to go that route, that helps clean the body out. But um, I don't know if they knew about juicing vegetables in the 30s. I think they probably did. But the point here is like, we can't ignore everything else. It's the whole, the whole viewpoint. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And that's another interesting point here. So in your situation, you th do you think um, you had a problem with lactic acidosis then, what you're just explaining here? I did because black mold makes lactate. And other pathogens make lactate. And um, excessive carbohydrate metabolism makes lactate. And other poisons. So here's the four poisons that they knew about in 1931. It causes lactic acidosis. But if you follow the, re the research through the decades, it's not just these four. You know, you could throw in any metal or any chemical, which crowds out 
oxygen in the blood, which poisons the cells, which starves cells. And then, so what happens is you have not enough oxygen in the, in the blood and too much waste products. That makes the arteries dilate. I'm giving you the mechanism right now. So the arteries are now dilated, just like an athlete sprinting, their muscles get sore with lactate, lactic acid, um, hydrogen, other waste products of burning sugar. So they sprint, their muscles are sore, the arteries dilate, they start breathing deeper, heavier, their heart beats faster, their blood pressure goes up. Well, same thing with somebody who's chronically ill, they have, they're short of breath, they're gasping for air, their blood pressure goes up, their pulse goes up, their arteries are dilated, you can see their veins in different parts of their body, in their legs or something, their veins are bigger. Um, they get stagnant blood, they get the varicose veins, the little capillaries are opened up and they get engorged with blood. That's capillary engorgement. And then the cells that are they're trying to receive oxygen and nutrients from the blood, they don't get their oxygen and nutrients because the cells, the uh, blood is stagnant and it's toxic. So the cells can't dump their waste products into the blood. There's no exchange there at the capillary level. Now the cells are starving and then they die. Cell death causes tissue death, causes organ death, causes body death. So this whole mechanism here is cachexia. That's how people die. This is the lactic acid cycle, also known as the Cori cycle because it was put together by a husband and wife team in the 1940s called uh, Dr. and his wife, Dr. Cori. It's also called cachexia. And the Coreys, they got their information from Otto Warburg. You know, that Otto Warburg, was, he's the man, he's the genius, the best physiologist ever to walk on planet Earth. But he didn't. He came up with some of this information, and then other people threw in their information. The Corys put it all together, and then and then you know after World War II, it was all forgotten. It's all kind of like went away, <laughs> um, because big pharma came in after World War II. You know, I just learned uh, Operation Paperclip. The United States supported a few thousand uh, German Nazi uh, scientists for rocket science and and pharma pharma research. And so post-World War II, that's the surge of the pharmaceutical strength and power. And then in 1987, that Vaccine Act was passed. So now pharmaceutical companies can make vaccines with no liability whatsoever. They don't have to test the vaccines, they just sell it. So that made them financial monsters. And anyway, so we're trying to bring back physiology, just the basics, right? Here's how a cell respires and metabolizes. What does it need? And what do you have to get rid of? What, what kind of poisons need to go away? And so when people know the basic physiology, you can't be swayed by the latest and greatest pharmaceutical drug, the latest news story, you know, even the latest or greatest like single micronutrient supplement that shows up at the multi-level marketing or on a, on a health food store shelf. Like let's not be swayed by, you know, something that's, pedantic, meaning small. We're not going to blow up a small thing and make it a big thing. It's just small things are small, big things are big. Let's stay with this, stick with the big things and really, you know, work on reversing our health at this, at this level. Does that make sense? It does. So I'm, I'm just trying to help listeners here try to understand because there's going to be a lot of people who, who would have never been exposed to the, the terminology lactic acidosis and they'll be wondering, how would I test if I've got it or, um, what I'm also thinking about now is 
like in your case, if you had a mold exposure, um, you have a lactic acidosis issue, but you have to treat the mold exposure issue or what we're going to talk about parasites. So the parasites, can they also create a lactic acidosis issue, but you have to treat the parasites. Um, yeah, I'm just, I've got a few questions around that one. So um, hopefully I didn't confuse me, you with too many questions there. Yeah, let me define lactic acidosis. Um, in the 1930s, it was high lactate. And you can do a you can buy a machine. I actually bought a machine for 300 bucks, this big with the little sticks that you put into it. And actually, I threw it away because of the mold in the old office. I threw a lot of my possessions away. But I, anyway, so you can stick your blood, put it on the stick for the machine, and measure your lactate. And it's used um, primarily for athletes, and veterinarians use it for dogs and cats to see if there's like high lactate from cancer or high lactate after a heart attack or something like that. So I'm on the phone with this guy, and I said, Yeah, I want to buy this machine. And um, he asked me a question about it, like, what are you using it for? And I'm like, oh, well, you know, it's really important to know your lactate level with chronic, regarding chronic disease. And he goes, well, I can't sell it to you because you're not allowed to buy it for the purpose of measuring lactate with chronic disease unless you're a veterinarian. And I'm like, oh, I would never do that. <laughs> So I ran on a number of people and I found high lactate. Now, um, not everybody has it, but that's what they said in the 1930s. They said whether or not you have like high lactate, you can have other poisons that are high and they could be acidic or not. And if they're not acidic, they can act like an acid. So the way that I determine whether or not somebody is suffering from this 1930s definition of lactic acidosis is the symptoms. And there's three broad categories brain, stomach, and chest. But before I go there, another way you can measure uh, high lactate. Okay, you measure lactate in a regular blood test from a lab. Uh, lactate dehydrogenase, which is an enzyme that breaks down lactate. And I just got an email from a guy, his was 425. It should be less than 333. So, and he had big veins and he had these various symptoms. So he changed his diet around to, you know, this way. And his LDH went down to normal, below 333. Um, normal range is 105 to 333. Another way you can test for acidity is the anion gap. And that's from a regular lab company. So um, I've seen that be a factor. But let me get back to the symptoms. So when people have lactic acidosis going on and their cells are dying, and let's say that the muscles are, muscle cells are dying, the muscles are the biggest organ in your body. It's not your liver. It's not your skin. It's not your brain. It's your muscles. And when muscle cells die, they tighten up. And that's called rigor mortis. So you have a dead body on the ground. It's tight after a few hours. And then after about 12 or more hours, it loosens up because the muscle tissue itself is breaking down. So, But if you have some muscle cells dying right here, it tightens up or around the, the lungs, the diaphragm, and people can't breathe. And they're, get, and they're forcing, and they're short of breath, and they think they're having a heart attack. So they go to the ER, and the heart is fine. And the doctor says, you're crazy. It's all in your head. You need to see a psychiatrist. And they go on Xanax. Um, so that's muscular tightness from this mechanism. Now, for women, 
Another thing is um, muscle soreness. So women get it here, fibromyalgia. Men get it in the heart. Women have estrogen that protects their heart. So they're same two different diseases, angina, heart disease versus fibromyalgia. Two separate diseases, same mechanism. Different causes, it could be diet, it could be mold, it could be um, you know, something else. So that's, you wanna look at the causes and the mechanism, and then you wanna feed the organs so that the organs get better so symptoms go away. So you wanna feed the muscles. Um, another, so I was gonna to talk to you about brain and stomach. You want, do you have a question before I go there? Mm -hmm. No. Okay, so if you get cell death, cell starvation and death in the brain, there's no muscular tissue up there, so there's no tightening, but what happens when brain cells die? They give you horrible thoughts, uh, depression, anxiety, questioning your life's decisions. They make you do weird things, uh, bipolar, mania, um, all that stuff. Basically, every psychiatric condition is uh, a form of lactic acidosis. That's my viewpoint on this. And addiction, I've even seen addiction. Um, so that's all I have to say about that. And then the other, the third location is the uh, stomach. <clears throat> I was going to point to my stomach there. <laughs> so people get nausea. They get, uh, they can't digest fats. Yeah, their gobbler is not working good. Their stomach's not working good. Their intestines are bloated. Um, that was, a f and it's it's rarer that people have problems here, but I, people will say to me, I have anxiety. And my next question is, where is it? And they tell me where it is. And for some people, it's in the stomach. For other people, it's here. Other people, it's here. One guy, it was back here. And he was got 70% better in, in four weeks. So you can have anxiety, this tightening. Anxiety actually means, in the ancient Greek, it means uh, tightening or narrowing. So when people say I have anxiety, it's because the muscles are cramping down, they're narrowing, the lungs are narrowing, the stomach is narrowing, it's tight, it's nauseous, it's cramping, the muscles are cramping. So you can have anxiety kind of anywhere when you look at the original definition that it's too narrowing. Yeah, this is fascinating. So, you know, again, you're going to have a lot of people listening right now who are eating low-carb or ketogenic, again, for a variety of reasons not just weight loss, but uh, for health reasons too. And you're bringing in a whole new concept here to, to say, well, consider lactic acidosis. And it just gets me thinking again that potentially here there's some people that don't shouldn't be going into ketosis then until they've dealt right. with these other issues. Right. So you had brought up the parasite thing. I have a guy who is a very overweight and he was doing low carb and he had no success. And as a patient, I have a survey where people fill out their symptoms. And with the survey, I can find causes and see if they have lactic acidosis and then look for organ support. It's like a seven or eight page survey. And so he had parasites and I put him on parasite supplements. And then he started losing weight. We cleaned out his intestines. And I mean, he maybe I don't remember if he's still on the supplements, but He's down over 70 pounds. So his body was dysfunctional. He had organ dysfunction causing a lack of results. So, so organ dysfunction 
is uh, kind of a new concept also where you just feed the organ and you fix it. New concept in the field of, of modern day healthcare. I mean, organ feeding organs has been around since the 1920s um, in supplement form and, and diet form. But uh, so in his case, it was his intestines needed to be fixed up. So you can feed the organs and you have to also have to clean them out. And so just sounded like you used a survey to figure that one out, did you? Because right. So again, just I'm trying to help people problem solve if they if they are listening here and they've and they've stalled for whatever reason or they're not getting the results that they were expecting, uh, and they're thinking, how do I figure this one out? And it sounds like now it would they use the survey data then to figure out if I should be looking at these other routes? Yeah. Yeah, and the way that I have it set up is um, on my website in the upper right corner is a button that says take uh, surveys and quizzes. I, I have two of them. So you click on that button and you can click on, it's called FTP, follow the physiology. So the FTP survey. Now we can assist people and consult with people long distance. And there's a charge for that. And it's myself and I have five other uh, nutrition practitioners in my office. So it's a whole team. And we've been doing this now for two and a half, three years, probably longer. And, um, but the FTP survey, I, I did that like two years ago and it's a great tool. So you can fill it out. And if you want to become a patient, you know, we'll, we'll get the results and you can set that up. We have a, a coordinator on the phone that can set up the appointment, et cetera. So that's where I go with that. People, I mean, I just can't give out free advice. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But I'm, I'm interested here too now coming back to what we talked about earlier with the keto carnivore. And I've noticed a lot of people were maybe on a more traditional ketogenic diet, which is higher in fats, um, low in carbohydrates, moderate protein. And then they've switched over to a more ketogenic carnivore way of eating and they've noticed dramatic health changes. Um, just trying to tie this into someone who's more on a keto carnivore, do you think they could still eat that way, but then take the supplementation to fix their problems? Or would they need to eat more carbohydrates even if they were enjoying this keto carnival way? Um, the only reason why somebody would eat more carbohydrates is to get rid of uh, the symptoms of, uh, of like a, the mold infestation or too much candida or yeast. Um, I'm not really sure how to answer that question. Let me, let, me, let me share this with you. Eating carnivore, pure carnivore, is actually it's a lot different than the older ketogenic way of eating in that you get so much more strength and you get more protein. Higher protein is totally fine. So I have a woman, actually she's in Pakistan, with a chronic yeast infection, and I put her on supplements. This is like in the spring of last year. And they work temporarily, and then they didn't work just like all the other things she's done for the last 10 years. And then I started talking about carnivore in the summer of last year and she saw my videos and then we talked in the fall and she said, I want to go, I want to try carnivore. I was like, all right, I agree with you. Go for it. So three months later, we're back on the phone, actually Skyping. And she said that her energy is back. Her fatigue used to be a nine out of 10. She'd walk up the steps and be out of breath and just physically weak. After three months of carnivore, now she walks up the steps and she's sprinting and she's not out of breath and she's doing great. 
Her energy is so much better. Everything is better. Everything is better, including her immune system. So if you're not, it's like this. Let me put it this way. Fitness nutrition is human nutrition. And that was, Tim Noakes told me that at this, this August keto conference in Columbus. Because I was trying to tell him about this. And he didn't get it. And, um, but he said, fitness nutrition is human nutrition. I was like, oh yeah, right. Like if you don't feed your muscles, nothing else has a chance. Your liver doesn't have a chance, your thyroid, your brain, your immune system. You got to feed your most important organ. That's your muscles. That includes your heart and that's protein. So that's why the carnivore way of eating is better than the older version with the high added oils, coconut oil, moderate protein, lower lower carb does that help yeah that definitely helps again it just would answer the, the question why some people feel better on a more keto carnivore versus a like low lower uh protein higher fats version of, of ketosis in a way right i think that the high fat moderate protein low carb is good to get people into ketosis initially for the first few weeks that's one thing that was missing in my own brain and my keto journey is I learned to do to, and to teach high fat, moderate protein, low carb, and everybody got into ketosis and it was great. Not everybody, but you know, like it was easy. It made it easy. Right. Um, when I say not everybody, I mean, I didn't teach that to everybody, but the point here is that what about four weeks later and what about 10 months later? Because it's not as satisfying as eating you know, good meat. And I had people drop off. They dropped off after four months or six months or the holidays came and they dropped off. And it's like, wait a minute, why this diet should be better than those desserts. You should be feeling so much better on this diet that you don't need the dessert. So that's actually happening now with the carnivore way of eating is that people can do this for the rest of their life. Let's say ketovore. They can do that for the rest of their life, be happy with it. And now they're ignoring those dessert tables, et cetera, at the potluck. And there's no, there's no going back to that because their body's so happy with the red meat and with the fat that comes naturally with the red meat and the, and the proper ratios that it occurred with our ancestors from a long time ago. Cool. Um, yeah, again, I've, I've loved uh, having this conversation because it just brings in that those Little differences again when someone feels that then they're stalled, they're stuck, the, the health situation isn't changing as they were expected, and there's potentially there's these other factors to consider. Um, and don't feel like a failure if you are eating that way and you thought it was going to solve it because you're hearing all these other stories, but it doesn't mean that's always going to be the case. There, there could be something else you need to address. And right. I did, I found it fascinating today learning a bit more of myself about the lactoacidosis and. Uh, just considering that as a potential cause to your health situation. Right. Yeah. And I, I wish there was a different term for lactic acidosis. Cause I say it, people Google, Google it, it comes up on Wikipedia and they say, nope, he's, he's doesn't know what he's talking about, but no, no, not the modern version of that definition, the older version. Okay. And just, um, I'll link to that in the show notes too. Um, do, do you have a, a uh, somewhere on your website or some other place where it has the older definition? The older definition? No. I mean, I have it scattered throughout my, I have a, I have a uh, playlist on my YouTube channel where I talk about lactic acidosis in over 30 videos. 
But even then, when I first learned about it, it was from the books from the 1930s and 40s. So I just assumed the whole time that that's the way it was. I didn't think the definition changed. But then people were commenting that they, and they work in the ER, they work in the hospital, they draw blood, they read labs. And they said, that's not lactic acidosis. So I looked at the modern version. I was like, wait, but who, where did it change? You know, what happens is there's a body of knowledge and people take a small part of it and they apply that to something like a specialty. And then the, all, all the rest of that knowledge goes away, just like the Atkins diet. That's an analogy for this. So Atkins was a cardiologist and he even opened a cancer clinic and he's addressing various conditions with his diet. And then later it became a weight loss diet and all the other information just kind of like went away. And then, you know, so like this, it's another phenomenon of, you know, being human is like, take this body of knowledge, grab one, one bit of it and ignore the rest. So that's my viewpoint on that definition of lactic acidosis. Cool. Well, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing all that information today. I've really enjoyed all the, uh, the tidbits there and it's, uh, it's got my intellectual juices flowing and just thinking a bit more. And I'm sure a lot of people listening to this too. And, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure you can have some people reach out to you after this interview just to, to want to contact you or maybe try help them with their health journey. So Darren, I just want to say thank you so much. Um, and when it comes to someone wanting to keep in contact with you or follow you, do you, um, recommend any particular social media or just your website is it what's the best way for people to, to yeah contact you? my my bigger uh social media platform is youtube so you can search my name uh find my channel on youtube and then my website for the office is the nutritionalhealingcenter.com so that's when you want to take the next step and look in your own health get some personal care one-on-one care so you can figure out these details that are might be missing with the people that you're working with now, the little, you know, I get patients say they've been to 40 doctors or 20 doctors. And then I, I fill in some of the blanks, you know, I don't know everything, but I know a lot and I can, and I know a lot of what's missing in conventional healthcare. And even in the holistic fields, I know a lot that's missing. So I plug in those missing components and help people with their health. And Gary, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. (laughs) 